we all have regrets in life, I assume. I don't know all your stories, and I, maybe I shouldn't assume, but I assume that we all have regrets. Maybe it was a relationship that your mom said from the get-go was a bad idea, and it just took you weeks, months, maybe years to figure out your mama was right, and you hated to admit it. Maybe that was part of the reason why it lasted so long, because you didn't want to admit mom was right. Uh, maybe it was a relationship where you dated a guy, and he always seemed to forget his wallet anytime you went out anywhere. And, you'd think, and you look back on that, you think, why didn't I get that? But at the time, it was all about his dreamy hair and the fact that he played the guitar. Uh, but you saw it eventually, and now you regret. Maybe it was a financial choice that you made. Your spouse convinced you to buy insurance from your brother-in-law. And you thought, he's not really seeming like a trustworthy insurance guy, but it's family, so you did it, and the policy's not that great, and the premium's a little too high, but you're going to pay it forever because you don't want to make Thanksgiving awkward. Maybe you bought a house that was a little too much for your budget, and you knew it was too much for your budget going into it, but it had that closet that you could like dance around in, and they had a fireplace, and maybe it went full-on fixer-upper, and the previous owner put shiplap wall-to-wall, and, and you, just couldn't, you just couldn't contain the excitement, and you signed on the dotted line, and, and now you're kind of thinking, oh, this is, it's a great house, but it's, it's just too much. Maybe you had a run-in with the law that you just soon everybody forget about, because after all, it was college. I was young, and my buddies dared me to do it anyway. Get over it, everybody, and you'd like it to go to your past. Now, maybe you say, uh, Anthony, I didn't have any of those. I, didn't ha I never had a really colossally terrible relationship. I haven't made any giant financial bumps. I never got arrested for streaking across the quad at college. None of that is, is true of my story. That doesn't matter. Well, let me bring it into one category that I think everybody in the room probably has some regrets. And the first regret, I think, or the, the main category of regret that we all share is fashion choices. And the reason I know that is because I've been to a lot of your houses and I've seen your wedding pictures. And let me just say, for, for a lot of you, skinny white guys shouldn't have an afro in their wedding pictures. That's just something that you should regret. And if you don't, you should. And so what I wanted to do today actually was I, I wanted to get a hold of some people and have them send me pictures of their spouses so that we could all laugh at them. Uh, but I thought people might not love being publicly embarrassed on Easter. Uh, so I decided to publicly embarrass myself and share with you some of my past fashion, unfortunate fashion mistakes. Uh, the first one, which I got a, you got a glimpse of earlier, was in eighth grade. I regret letting my mom dress me in the denim on denim look for our family pictures. This was, and, and for some reason, they wanted me to get a picture with my dog, which if you were wondering, yes, she was a good girl. She was a great dog. I loved her. But not only do I got the denim on denim, but I love that I'm rocking the bright white Hanes socks there, just sticking out. That's what sticks. I mean, look at, they're whiter than my dog's white coat. Like, those, those socks are shining. Like, they, I probably opened a new pack, okay? But I, I kind of, I regret letting that on. I mean, the denims don't even complement one another. It's unfortunate. And then we move into high school, my junior year. And the first thing you might notice are these subtle highlights that I am. Uh, they made my eyes pop, if you were wondering. Um, uh, yeah, and so yes, I sat in the chair, went to the, you know, the salon, and, sit, and they put that plastic bonnet on me and took that little sharp crochet hook-like thing and shoved it through those little holes and poked them. I mean, your eyes are watering as they're doing it because it hurts so bad. Did that on more than one occasion because that was cool. And, but that's not the only regret I have in this picture. Another short regret that's not fashion-related, but it bears noticing. Um, you'll notice the slight scar under my left eye. This picture was a, a retaken picture for my junior high year or my, my junior year yearbook. 
um, that year in cross country, the day before picture day, we were running cross country practice, and the coach specifically said, go to the park and back, stay on roads, don't cut through yards. So we cut through every yard we could find. And so while we're running through a yard, I wasn't quite, I kind of lost track of where we were, and I looked back at a friend and I said, hey, where, where are we going? And at that point in time, I ran into a clothesline. So if people say, oh, I got clotheslined, no, I literally got clotheslined. And it wasn't a rope clothesline. It was one of those that used to be plastic covered, but the plastic had since rotted off, and it was just rotting metal twisted cord. And it just like, I hit it, and it stretched out, and I took a step back, and it went wah, 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 and just like destroyed my entire face before picture day. I mean, I looked like I had gotten into a nasty rumble the day before picture day. And it was like, what'd you get in a fight with? Metal cord. It's just... And it was just an embarrassing thing, and so I had to get a retake, and I had to wait months to get that retake so that all I would have left was that small, tiny scar. So I regret a lot about that, not just the highlights. But the highlights weren't, you know, they're they're too subtle here. You know, sometimes you want to go for a little more bang, right? And so uh, then I went for the bright white highlights, (laughs) and so I regret that. The other thing I regret are these shorts I'm wearing because... They weren't just shorts, mind you. These were the kind of pants that you zipped the legs off, okay? I love those things because, you know, sometimes you don't want to commit. You know, you it's going to be cool in the morning and warm in the afternoon, and you think, well, I don't want to be cold this morning, but I don't want to be hot and sweaty all afternoon at school. Perfect solution, pants that zip off. The problem is when they zipped off, they zipped off just a little too high. I mean, that's why you can see, like, the tan knees and the pasty white thighs starting to show there. The only redeeming quality about this picture is my niece, uh, who's super cute. She's in college now, which makes me want to throw up a little bit. But, so I, re- I do regret that. But, you know, subtle highlights aren't enough. A little bright white highlights aren't enough. You know what you need to do? You need to go full blonde. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. Ew. <laughs> the, the th- here's the thing. I had to get my senior pictures retaken because I did this right before my senior pictures. And it turns out you get those pictures back and it's like, man, my hair is the same color as my skin. Which actually, it almost makes it look like, like now. Like it kind of is like, oh, that's what, I was gonna, that's what my future was going to hold. So I regret doing that. It was, it's so bad, you know. By the way, I still have those shorts. They, I mean, I wear them all the time. Those really went the distance. Got my money's worth because I didn't pay for them. Found them on the locker room floor. Nobody claimed them. Had my mom wash them up. <laughs> Still got them. Still got them. So let's move on so we can focus, right? We all have our fashion choices, those things that we regret. Whether yours was hair so big from the 80s it required a half a can of hairspray to defy gravity. I mean, some of you spent so much on hairspray in the 80s, like you could have put a kid through college if you had invested your hairspray money back then. Um, Some of you, you had a lime green leisure suit, head to toe, that you were just convinced looked so good. And you look back on those pictures and you think, I still look good in that lime green leisure suit. And you're wrong, but that's okay. You're wrong, but somebody needs to tell you. I'm just telling you this because I love you, and somebody needs to love you enough to tell you that you should never, that is never coming back. You should light that thing on fire. It won't even burn. It'll just melt because it's all polyester probably. Um, But we're not going to talk about fashion regrets the entire time this morning. We're not going to talk about financial regrets or even necessarily relational regrets to a certain extent. We're going to talk about some regrets that run deeper, that go farther than that bad spray tan you got once or that comb over you had for years that you were in denial that your hair was going to fall out. We're going to talk about the kind of regrets, because I've got regrets in my life that go way beyond those pictures. I've got regrets in my life that when I think back on them, I don't just get embarrassed, like my heart aches. 
Like there are actual moments that like if I could pick, uh, get a time machine and go back in time, I wouldn't undo the hair unless I had lots of chances to go back in time. Maybe eventually I'd get around to it, but I would undo some things that are far more devastating, things that were far more evil is a better word. I regret the way I used to view and treat girls when I was in high school. I, I, I regret the many times I've let my anger overcome me and determine how I was going to behave and treat people. I regret all the times I let my pride, my selfishness, my laziness keep me from going out and doing what was right and kind and helpful because I didn't want to you know, give energy up. I didn't want to devote a Saturday to helping somebody move. I wanted to sit and binge a show on Netflix or whatever. I regret those moments when I've been more me-focused than others-focused. I regret um, in high school, I used to make fun of people all the time. I, I used to, I had a good knack for finding what people were most insecure about and then just drilling on it because if other people were laughing at them, then people weren't laughing at me. And that was kind of my, my tactic for surviving high school. And, and that's just my bare bones list that I'm willing to share from a stage. Those aren't even detailed. I didn't even give the detailed story. The stories, though, are here. The memories are here. The, the cringeworthy actions are in my brain and in my, in my running list of regrets that I keep. And you've got yours, too. Whether it was an addiction for years when you chose a bottle over your family, whether it was a relationship that you let your pride get in the way of, Somebody said something to you and your pride was so insulted by what your brother said that you let that relationship with the person you love, that person you want to be with, you let that relationship fall apart. Maybe your regret is you look back on the years your kids were in school and you regret caring more about their batting average and their GPA than how they were doing as a, a human and what was going on in their heart in those very pivotal years. So whatever it is, we've all got our lists of regrets that we honestly would like to put further and further behind us. Those regrets that we look at our lives now, we think, that doesn't define who I am now. That's not the kind of person I ever wanted to be, and it's not the person I want to be now. Well, one of the things that we come to celebrate on Easter is that one of the reasons Jesus came into our world was to actually separate us from those regrets. And I don't just mean like, you know, like when your kids fight and you put them on opposite sides of the couch. I mean like a cut you off, separate any connection that you have for your regrets and put you a million miles away from them. Now, if you are newer and do not totally uh, know too much about the Christian faith, I do want to, I'm going to give the Cliff Notes version real quick here of the Christian faith. I'm going to talk about what Jesus did, what it is that we believe, but I don't just want to stick with what Jesus did. We're also going to talk about why he did it. Why does it matter? Because maybe you do know a little bit about the faith. You've heard Jesus, cross, resurrection. You know essentially what Easter is about. We showed that, that heartbreaking video of maybe of a representation of what Jesus went through on the cross and the resurrection and, and what the story uh, kind of was filled with for us. So maybe you know a little bit about that. But we don't just get together on a Sunday once a week because something happened. We get together on a Sunday, Sunday because something meaningful happened. Something that affects our day-to-day -day lives happened. Something that changes how I interact with every single person, every word out of my mouth, every decision I make. We think what Jesus did for us actually matters. So let me start with the what, and then we'll get on to the why. Now, first off, we believe that human beings have all done bad stuff, and that bad stuff deserves consequences. And I don't just mean like, oh, hey, you, you, know, you di didn't put the toilet seat down again. Shame on you. I mean, like, we've all said things that were cruel, hurtful, mean. We've all been selfish. We've all been prideful. And here's the thing. A lot of the things that we've done that were at the worst, no one's even caught us for. 
My, my, my guess is that most of you are worse than everybody thinks you are. I mean, if I could take like the worst thoughts I've had and put them on these screens, I would cower and never show my face again because I'd be so ashamed of the th- the, just the thoughts that had gone through my head, let alone the times I've let those thoughts drive my behavior. And so we believe that the bad things that we have done deserve consequences. And one of the consequences of our bad things that we call sin is spiritual death. And the reason why spiritual death happens when we as human beings commit these various evil sins is because we are cutting ourselves off from the source of life, which is our God, our creator. Human beings were meant to have a close, connected relationship with God, but sin is the opposite of everything God wants. It's, it's the opposite of everything God is. By his nature, he is good and holy and right, and we oftentimes choose what is evil and selfish and wrong. And so when we choose what is selfish and wrong, death is the direction we have chosen. And where that spiritual death leads us, ultimately, when this life ends, is a place that is called hell. And hell's not a fun thing that we like to talk about, and some people hyper-focus on it. Maybe you're thinking, oh, great, this is why I didn't want to come to church, because I always hear that hellfire and brimstone stuff. Well, we're not going to talk about it too long, because there's good news on the other side of hell, but hell is an eternal punishment for those who have chosen what is wrong and sinful over those who have chosen, uh, over choosing what is good and godly. And God looked down on us as human beings, stuck in our sin, on the road to hell, and he loved us too much to send us there. He loved us too much to just let us go there without any sort of other option, any sort of a rescue plan. And so if you think, I don't want to come to church because all I'm going to hear about is angry God who wants people to go to hell, that is not the story that we see in the pages of Scripture. God does not want any human being to spend a moment in hell. He wants this life and all of its pains and miseries to be as close to hell as you and I ever get. And so Jesus stepped out of heaven. He, is, he was God. He stepped out of heaven as, as this man that we call Jesus, who was fully God, fully human. Don't ask me to explain exactly how that works. But he was fully God and fully human. He lived a life of utter perfection, never did anything wrong or evil. He lived a perfect life, never did a single thing deserving of a punishment. And when he was 33 years old, he surrendered himself to go to a Roman torture slash execution device called a cross. And he died a brutal, torturous, suffering death. And on the cross, he had nothing to suffer for. He had no punishment to take. He was taking my punishment for me and your punishment for you. He was paying all the cost of our sin in that moment, on those moments on the cross. Every ounce of anger that God has ever felt toward the injustices that humans have created and inflicted on other humans, every ounce of God's anger was poured out on Jesus in that moment rather than on us. He took that for us so that we could not. And after he died, he was in a hole in the ground for three days, and everyone thought he was dead. But on the third day, he took his life back. And his death guarantees that we can have forgiveness because he paid the price for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved. And so his death guarantees that my list of regrets, those can be forgiven and washed away. And his life, his resurrection guarantees that I can not only put those things behind me, but I can have a separate new life going forward. Because some people miss the fact that Jesus doesn't just come to forgive sins. There's a lot of people who 
call themselves Christians. I don't even know if I would say that they're Christians. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who think this is all about just having your sins forgiven. And as long as we, you know, we come to church and, and do churchy things, and you know, maybe if you're Catholic, they might get, be like, i got to go to the Father, get confession, and get some absolution. Or in our Protestant mode, we say, I prayed to God for forgiveness, and so I'm just about getting forgiveness of my sin. But Jesus came for far more than just forgiveness. He didn't just come to separate me from my past. He came to, like, cut me off from being that type of person so that I wouldn't be somebody who would do regrettable things anymore, so that I can look to the future and actually live a better life. I can look to the future and say, I'm going to be a better version of me thanks to what Jesus has done. He cuts me off from being a person who is sinful and selfish and wrong. And so what happens when we become Christians is we get a new life, the old life. We say the old life, that old sinful self dies. And we are given a new life, the way Christ took new life out of the grave. He gives us new life going forward. And we do admit, though, that's a process. This is one reason why a lot of people don't like Christians. Because we don't claim to be perfect. We claim that God is going to get us there one day. But man, you know, I said I, sometimes I, I used to let my anger control my actions. That still happens. The one I always tell myself on was the, when we had our first kid, he's now six. You might see him running around here in a bit, little bit. I was trying to put that stupid car seat in the car. And all I wanted to do in that moment was find the guy who designed it and punch him in the face. <laughs> if you've ever put in a car seat, you know, you're with me. You got... You're not, we're not judging each other over car seats, right? This is a compassionate place. And I get mad, and I just step out of my car, and I just chuck it across my front yard, and I turn around and see our secretary at the time, Lita Billiou, who's like the nicest person ever, staring at me like, hmm. And I was like, of all the people that would catch me red-handed chucking a car seat across the yard, my only thing was, I hope I at least was impressive and like, threw it far. I hope it was at least a good toss, you know. And so, like, I'm not over that. That's still a part of me, and it still follows me. I'm, but I'm better than I used to be. I'm not as led by my anger, but Jesus is slowly, bit by bit, cleaning me up as he's gotten a hold of me, and he's moving me towards progress by the power of his grace and his mercy. But the story of Jesus is that he did not just come to offer forgiveness, but he wanted to cut you off from that person who would even need to be forgiven and help you be somebody who's better, the person he intended you to be. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, it's actually a letter written from a pastor to a church in Ephesus, Greece. The, the, that pastor, his name was Paul, he wrote these words to them. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. Meaning, that forgiveness is not free. That moving us off of the road to hell and onto a road that leads to heaven, eternal salvation... That, that cutting us, us off from that old life so that we might have a new one, that was not a free thing. He bought that for us. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and he forgave our sins. That forgiveness is possible. So Jesus died to separate us from all that we had ever done wrong. And now I want to read you a, a beautiful passage out of the Old Testament. It's from the book of Psalms, which is a book of poetry, that explains the size of God's grace and just how far he wants to separate you from your sin. Psalm 103, we'll start in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, maybe one of the reasons, if, you, if you're newer here and you've always been hesitant about church, maybe you've heard people who were you know, kind of critical of Christianity say, well, Old Testament 
God was all grumpy and angry and just like killing a lot of people. But New Testament God, that's where the love comes in. I like New Testament God, but Old Testament God's real grumpy. This is in the Old Testament. God's character does not change from the beginning of the book to the end. He has always been slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The times when God is so angry at human beings in the Bible, it's because that's how bad our sin is. I mean, don't you ever read the newspaper and think, man, human beings have done some nasty stuff. Yeah, of course God's mad about that at times. But here we see that God is abounding in love. It says, he will not always chide or correct us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He did not keep his anger forever. Jesus took all of that anger so that we would not have to be the target of it. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Meaning, he doesn't treat us in a way that's fair. What's fair is letting us suffer for what we've done. Letting us suffer for our consequences, or the consequences of our actions. No, he gives us a way out of that. And then we get to these, these two really cool word pictures that we uh, presented in the next verse. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We get these two really neat pictures of, of distance. Um, first it says, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Um, heavens there, usually when we read that word heaven, we think the place we think we go when we die, right? But heavens here means everything you see when you look up on, on a night, a clear night sky, right? Um, it's the distance of the universe. It's the stars, the galaxies, the, the, the planets that are out there. It's looking at the depths of our universe. And now, in our modern age, like, we know how far the moon is. Like, they can tell you, like, how many feet the moon is away on any given day. They can predict, you know, uh, eclipses and stuff like that, like, decades in advance, years in advance, centuries in advance. We know how far the, our closest star, like, relative is to us. But this is the ancient world. They didn't know any of that. The moon was an impossible distance for them. And so to say, as far as the ground from the sky, that was saying, there's, nobody's ever going to go up there. We don't know how far away that is. It's just far. We just know that's way up there, and it's big, and it's huge. That was just saying, that's an impossible distance. And they say, from east to west. Now, these people didn't travel around the globe. They didn't get on a, a 747 and, and go across the ocean. The best they could do was they could maybe like travel east, and then they get to a coastline. Maybe they take a boat, get to an island, go to the other side of the island, and say, oh, look at the ocean. And there's still some more east over there. And then they maybe go west, and they come to another coastline. And what they find? Ocean and more west. To them, east to west, it, it went on forever as far as they were concerned. And so to say from sky to, to, gr from sky to ground to east to west, that's impossible distances, unmeasurably huge distances. That's how far God wants to take your past and separate it from you. And I got to tell you, I'm so glad because, you know, people say, well, you can learn stuff from those regrettable moments in your past. Yeah, I've had some of those regrettable moments. I've got some speeding tickets and run-ins with the law. I've had some, you know, moments where I've done some things that were just real dumb in the moment. And I, I learned a college course. I got a bachelor's degree from some of the stupid things I've done, right? But there's some things I look back on. And it's like there's nothing redeeming about that. There's nothing redeeming about shaming a kid in the lunchroom over and over again and making his high school life hell. There's nothing redeeming about that for him or me. And so there's things that's like, the, the farther away that is from me, the better. And that's what Christ came to do, to separate you from that. And so for anyone who's ever felt like a failure, 
For anyone who's ever felt like they were struggling under the weight of their past, for anyone who ever thought there's mistakes that I will never overcome, the story of Christ should give you hope. These verses should give you hope that you can be separated from not just those events, but you can be separated from the person who did them. And you can have a new life, a better life going forward. Now, like I said, as somebody who's already been saved by grace, and I'm better than I used to be, but I'm not where I'd like to be, I, these verses give me hope. Because I'm, I'll do something stupid today. That tomorrow I'll be like, man, I can't wait till that's in the past. And, and these verses give me hope that Jesus is still going to separate my sins from me in that way. Now, one thing I want to let some of you know is that if you are here as a Christian, this, this celebration of Easter, this message of hope should never get old to you. Because you should be aware every day that you're a mess. You're a mess. We're all a mess, right? None of us have, I, I said this last week, I think, none of us go to bed and, or at night, put our head on the pillow and go, I nailed it today. Not a thing wrong. I just killed it, knocked it out of the park today. Yes! We go to bed every night and go, well, get them tomorrow, you know, oh well, glad tomorrow's a new day. And we, re- we, we get excited at the verse in scripture that says, his mercies are renewed every morning. We're, I'm glad they're renewed every morning, because every day I'm still kind of a mess. And so we should be grateful. These verses should still fill us with hope as Christians. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, or you're, you know, you would say maybe I'm not a practicing Christian, you've been to church before, but it's not something that's an active part of your life, I want these verses to give you hope. Because they, there is real, actual transformation available to each and every one of us in Christ. There is real life change that is available in Christ. And even though I think my past kind of disqualifies me in many ways to stand up here and tell you about a better life, in some ways my past qualifies the beauty of the gospel of grace. Because I am transformed. And, and a lot of the people in this room are transformed. And we're better than we used to be, but give us some grace because we're still kind of a mess. But that grace that we've experienced, many of us have experienced, it's available for everyone in this room today. Whether you've lived your life in church or whether you've never been before, that grace is open to everyone. And so if you are here today and you're new or uh, first-time guest, second-time guest, I just want you to know, I don't think you're here by accident. I think, I think God has used people in our life, circumstances in our life to lead us here so that we could hear about how good his salvation is, how good his grace is. And so whether you're here, again, you've never been to church, thought it might be okay, don't really have anything against it, or maybe, maybe you're one of the people who's so skeptical, you would just want to argue with me and think, how can you believe this fairy tale? Which I'm glad you're here. I don't think God's got you here by accident. He wants you to hear about this. And so let me just do something real quick as we close out today and we go enjoy the breakfast that is about four minutes away, and I know we're all counting down. Luckily, the doors are closed and we're not being overwhelmed with the smell of bacon because you'd all be facing the door just like, ready to go, you know, like kids in a starting line before the pistol goes off, right? And, but if you have any inclination, any desire at all to walk further down this road of faith, to explore what God might have for you, to know if this salvation of Jesus is real or legitimate in any way, shape, or form, I want to invite you to come back and join us next week. I know that one week, one sermon is not enough to change the course of your life probably or to change your mind about what we're doing here. So I invite you to come and take some time to walk this road with us. And as a church, we promise a few things. For those of us that are in this church, we make promises. Not me, we make a promise. We promise for this to be a safe, non-intimidating place for you to explore faith. And we promise to provide you with anything that we can to help you kind of figuratively dip your toe into the waters of Christianity and see if it makes sense for you. 
But there's a couple things you need to know if, you're gonna invite, if we're going to invite you back. Um, first is next week we're going to start a brand new series called I Choose. And this will be a little bit different than what we're talking about today. Next week the series will be about how um, we don't want to be people who are driven along through life by whatever by whatever sounds good, whatever feels good, by whatever our, our emotions or our instincts tell us to do. Because, man, I've, I've got my life into some train wrecks le- being led by my emotions. Um, some of those regrets I have were because I was thinking with my emotions or because I thought my instincts were going to lead me true, and they didn't. And so we want to be people who intentionally set the course of our lives, people who intentionally follow the wiser, better road that God has laid out for us. So that's a new series we're going to start next week. And if you want to come to that and start, again, walking, checking out this road of faith, the other thing you got to know is if you show up at 8 a.m., you're going to be early. Um, because on a normal Sunday, whoop, let me go back one. On a normal Sunday, we meet at 10 a.m. That's our normal service time. So if you show up at 8, you're, you're here in plenty of time. We'll chat. You can ask me anything you want. I'll be here so you can pick my brain. So you can show up at 8, but, but most people might not love that. Um, so, but at 10 a.m. will be our service time next week. If you want to come early and really get into exploring faith, we have at 9 o'clock, the hour earlier, we have what we call growth groups. This is where instead of sitting in rows and having one guy talk, we sit in circles and we can discuss and ask questions about Scripture together. It's a little bit better place to take a deep dive into the Bible. So Easter is the unusual day. Don't follow the service times. In fact, if somebody gave you one of those invitation cards, um, It says service times on one side, but we put our regular stuff on the other side. So just flip that card over, maybe even mark out the Easter side so we don't get messed up there. But we'd love to have everybody back. We want you to take time, take uh, some energy, some some intentionality to see if this is for you. Because there's a room full of people now that have decided that it is. There's a room full of people who've decided that this Jesus thing, it's not a myth. It's not something that we do as a pastime, but it's something that is real. And it makes a difference, and it separates us from the people we used to be, and it leads us on to be something better. And we'd love to have you here for that. So let me go ahead. I'm going to pray for us in just a second. Um, Again, we got the breakfast at 9. Love to have you stay for that. Everyone is invited. You can go out these doors and hang a left, and that'll get you into the fellowship hall. I'm guessing the way they'll do it is you'll have a seat, pick a table, and then we'll dismiss people by the color of the tablecloths. And you will all hate me by the time that is done because your table will inevitably be last. So just giving you a heads up, that's just usually how it goes. Nobody hates me more than on a potluck day and and they're the last table to go. Um, But I get some fans at that first table all of a sudden, like I'm pulling for them. I don't know. It's it's random, I promise, so don't hate me. So go out here, hang a left. Um, I'll pray now. I'll even pray for the food. That way we don't have to do a double prayer and you've got to wait for me to get in there and anything. We can just kind of get dismissed as, as the tables are called. So... Again, you're welcome to come back anytime. Please stay for the breakfast. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this morning here. We are grateful for Easter. We are grateful for this day of the year when we get to set aside a special celebration to remember the fact that Jesus didn't just die. He wasn't defeated by death. He was victorious over it. Just like he was victorious over all sin, He was victorious over the one who peddles sin in our lives, Satan. He was victorious in every way that he could win. And he won on our behalf. He came into this earth to fight that battle for us because there was no way we could fight it alone. The desire for sin is often too powerful in our lives. And we can follow some self-help book insights and, you know, 12 steps to a better life blog post. And we can make some progress, but... The, process, the problem isn't just our behavior, it's what's going on in our heart. 
And you don't just want to change our behavior. You want to change our heart. You want to change us from the inside out so that we're not just people who don't do regrettable things. We're, we're people who don't even want to do those regrettable things. And so, Father, I pray that we would be grateful for the fact that you don't just change how we look on the outside and how we act on the outside, but you want to change us from the inside out, making us completely new people, giving us brand new life, just as Christ has new life from the grave. And so, Father, as we continue this morning, as we continue our walk with you, I pray that um, you would show us your grace, you would show us your mercy, and you would make your power of life change evident to us as we move forward, because it's real. It's so real. And I pray that those of us who are Christians would never think that we're done, never think that we're finally you know, perfect and that you've finished your work in us. But every day, you're, you, you have more to do. Every day, you have more to forgive. You, every day, your mercies stretch further and further into our lives, ridding us of more and more of that evil that has plagued us for so long. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the salvation and life that we have in Christ. I pray that that produces a joy in us that drives us into life every day with a gratitude for all that you've done. So thank you again for Easter. Thank you for the chance to proclaim this good news to a room, a couple rooms full of people this morning. It's a, it's a joy and it's a privilege. Thank you for the food that we have to enjoy together and the time we get to talk and share and laugh uh, with one another. Uh, there's something beautiful about sitting with other people around a table and, and having a good laugh and sharing some stories over food. It's something um, beautiful that you've built into that process and so we're grateful for all the food that we have that you've blessed us so richly we don't just get to choose if we eat we get to decide what we eat we even get variety you're just so incredibly good in the ways that you bless us and so i pray that we're grateful for that as well again thank you for this morning thank you for the beautiful message of easter and the resurrection of jesus it's in his name that we pray amen